Next Generation Innovators is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Alicia Stevenson, Chief Commercial Officer at Future Women and your host again for Next Generation Innovators, a podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. In this episode, I'm chatting with Katrina Kehoe from Kehoe's Kitchen. Kehoe's was Australia's first certified organic producer of fermented probiotic foods, and their range includes things like probiotic cashew dips, sauerkraut, kimchi, and fermented vegetables. Katrina, welcome to Next Generation Innovators. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Kehoe's Kitchen, it started as a blog almost a decade ago. Tell us at the beginning about what your life looked like back then and how Kehoe Kitchens came to be. I was a structural engineer, consulting engineer on maternity leave. I'd had my second child. I wasn't very well, so I was going to the doctors quite a lot, trying to figure out what was wrong with my gut, my health. I had allergies and constant sinus issues and fatigue, a number of issues. And so they couldn't find out what was wrong with me. And so I eventually found a doctor who diagnosed me with leaky gut and a number of other issues. So I changed my diet and I looked at my children and how they were. My youngest was almost two and my eldest was four. And so we all changed our diet. We all went on a paleo diet, an elimination diet, and then eventually we went on a GAPS diet. And with the GAPS diet, you are basically a paleo diet. It's a very clean, low-carb diet, and you add in fermented probiotic foods and detoxing to help your body heal. And it's a temporary diet that you do to heal and then you can go back to adding in all the foods that you took out one at a time and seeing what you can react to. And so we were on this diet and I was posting just on my personal Facebook page about what I was making for the kids. And I clocked a little bit of flack about, you know, cardboard looking muffins and that sort of thing. So I decided to create a Facebook page and not tell any of my friends about it just to share my recipes for other people who might be going through what we're going through because it wasn't, at the time, it wasn't common knowledge then and people weren't sort of making much of this sort of food. So I created Kyo's Kitchen and was just sharing recipes. There was demand for the equipment that we were using, so I started drop shipping equipment. And so we decided to create a website to sell the equipment and post the recipes. And that's sort of how it, how it all started. That led to a market stall and uh, never went back to structural engineering, now engineering fermented food in Australia. We have a lot of our listeners, I think, who start really at market stalls. That's a very common thing. And where a lot of great brands actually find their birthplace. You did start there at the market stall. Then you converted the bottom story of your home into this certified commercial kitchen, outgrew that in six months. And now you've designed and fit out another three facilities since then. Uh, Can you tell me with the equipment that you bought, how you made and jarred that first batch and what the process looks like now? in a commercial kitchen? The first commercial kitchen under our house, um, my husband took leave for me to write a cookbook for the blog that I mentioned and he ended up building the kitchen with me. And in that kitchen, we were using the very equipment we were selling on our website. So it was a timber mandolin for cutting the cabbage. You know how you cut a tomato in a mandolin? It was yeah. a big timber one about 30 centimetres wide by about a metre long. So you can, you can hold a whole half cabbage in it and slide it up and down. And so... I would just work for hours and do a 30-litre crock of sauerkraut, so the actual ceramic fermentation crocks that we were importing and selling online, we were using those as well, and we would ferment them 
just make them by hand and ferment them for a number of weeks and then jar them by hand. And we had just a, a normal glass door display fridge downstairs that we were storing everything in. And then we were carting it to the markets on Sunday morning, 5am, selling at the markets. The market only went from 6 o'clock till 10 o'clock and it was fantastic. We would sell hundreds and hundreds of jars in that time and I would just cook all week and, and prepare just for Sunday sales. And we had a couple of staff helping us. So that's how we did it back then. And we did it in that facility for only a year before we had to move to the next one. When we're in that kitchen, we did upgrade from the hand wooden one to a rubber coop shredder that would shred our cabbages for us. Oh, thank God. And that was a massive investment at the time. And I was like, oh, how many jars of sauerkraut do I have to make? To <laughs> make I don't know if I should do it. You know, Worth it though? Oh, yes. And so, <laughs> and we were putting the caps on by hand and, you know, washing the jars and picking up the jars from the, the local wholesaler that were in a six-pack shrink-packed and we had Aperture in our home was on a very steep drive, so our driveway was seven metres steep from front to back. So we had our, our van that we would pick things up and go down with, but we couldn't get any deliveries as well. So we had to always go and pick up everything and drop off everything. And you couldn't you couldn't put a pallet in the back of the van either, so it was a lot of hand unloading and loading into the van. In the very beginning, we used to have to go to the market and load up the back of the van, actually put an empty cardboard cabbage bin in the, in the back and do a daisy chain at the other at the market and put all, everybody throwing cabbages to, to get them into the van. And at the other end, when we got back, we did the same thing to get them into the factory. So now our facility, we have two forklifts here. We have capacity to store 500 pallet spaces or so. It's very good. Our forklift actually goes into the production room. So we you know deliver the pallets of, of cabbages right to the sink where we get to just wash them and claw them and trim them. And then we just throw the whole cabbage into our shredder, which shreds the whole thing at once. One cabbage will get shredded in about three seconds. We line everything up and, and weigh it into batches and um, put it all in the big mixer and give it a good mix and then put it in the tanks and then we press it down and ferment them. So the tanks are big stainless steel tanks now. Katrina, that is a wonderful step through from, and not to use a pun, organically creating a business that is everything hands-on, everything laborious, all the way through to really graduating into a more commercialised process. And and thank you a lot for breaking that down because I, I often find that we talk about the big overarching, you know, scaling and, you know, now the production things. But a lot of people are sort of in that initial stage where they're jarring things by hand or they're creating things by hand and it, it is that market. So it's really not nice to hear that progression from the beginning through to the commercialization of this. And I'm interested to ask in this step through from there to here, how did you go about funding the business in those early days? You mentioned that you upgraded pieces of equipment. How did you step through that funding as well as the increase in production? It's been 100% self-funded by myself and my husband. So the first fit out of our commercial kitchen cost us $18,000 and we, we were ahead on our mortgage so we just invested that ourselves and we figured if it didn't, the way we did it in a way that it would become a greening flight if it wasn't successful and, and that's what it did become when we moved onto the next kitchen. So we took out the area that had the commercial stainless steel sinks, we left the domestic sink area that and benches that we had created in the granny flat and we put in an ensuite in that area where the plumbing was. And so that was our plan originally, that if it doesn't work, plan B is the grinding flat. So we were still investing in, it, in our property. We did that first 18 grand ourselves, which was a big step for us because we'd been single income. We just moved to this new house about a, a year before I got pregnant with our first. 
So we've been singling home for a while, but we were just getting such a good response on the blog and so many people were interested. Like we went to almost a thousand followers within a week when I started blogging and that was for, that was organic. There's that pun again. That was organic for us just from word of mouth. That's spectacular. That's a lot. If people are unaware for a blog, that is a lot. Just from putting my hand up in the groups, the GAPS groups and the other people and the paleo groups, just people looking for their information and those sort of recipes. And I was quite creative in my recipes because I have a foodie background. My parents always had cafes and restaurants when I was growing up and going to university. So I've, I've got that side of things. And then I suppose combined with the structural engineering and figuring things out. So back to the finance, we just started and the market did really well and we just kept investing and then we just started to purchase equipment based on leasing the equipment and paying it off over five years, which you have to do because it's very labor-intensive. And I said that we'd improve the processing side of shredding cabbages. In the actual jarring side, we are still hand-jarring, getting the product into the jar by hand. But then from that stage, going to the capping and the no-check weighing and the metal detecting and the labeling is automated. But getting the product into the jar is very hard for fermented vegetables. It's not a pumpable product. So yeah, there is a lot of, a lot of labor in there, but we have invested a lot in R&D and equipment. We've spent millions over the years on our facilities and our infrastructure, but it's it's been worth it. It's about making a lower cost product for the consumer, but also making the work better for our staff. We don't, like people talk about artisan products being handmade and we don't use this equipment, we don't use that, but that's not good quality of life for your staff doing RSI and same repetitive hard work every day. So as an engineer, I really pride myself on what I've developed, designed a lot in-house on AutoCAD and, and had things made to help make work better for our staff. And we've got staff that have been here from the very beginning, from the very first kitchen under the house. That's a great point actually about artisan handmade and scaling. And I think it speaks really well to what point do you need to become more innovative? And I suppose I hadn't put together that of course you are an engineer and there would be some design in there, which I didn't know about, which I think is fantastic. Circling back to the blog and just how quickly that expanded, that's an amazing number to put on it. And I think there has been a huge rise in the popularity of fermented and organic foods in the last few decades. Now, coming to the fact that Kehoe was the first certified to create fermented foods. Can you tell me what the process for organic certification kind of looked like back then? What is the market like now? And what do you see as the biggest opportunity or threat around this for the business? For us, it was a no-brainer to become certified organic because we were buying all our produce from United Organics, who are our wholesaler in Brisbane. They were our first Queensland wholesaler. And so they knew that we were producing certified organic product, but we just weren't certified ourselves. So they said to us, because we wanted to hand over distribution to them because we're getting too busy to manage our own sales to the retailers, they said, well, you have to get certified. We're like, yeah, no problem. We buy everything from you. So that should be really straightforward. And it was. It was just a matter of filling out paperwork, which I think a lot of producers are scared of because they're very busy. But me coming from an engineering background, paperwork is, is, is not a fear of mine. <laughs> um, so I just, I just did it and we had certification really fast. I think from the, the decision to having it done, I think it was a month because we had all the paperwork and we had all the traceability and that's been really easy. And we've since got HACCP certification and then we've since got kosher certification as well just recently which was also really great. Kosher Australia did that and they were really, really good to work with. 
So yeah, we're um, increasing our certifications now that we have a bit more time and, and we're looking to the broader international market. That's fantastic. And so circling back around to scaling, Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program is our partner in this podcast and they're a fantastic partner and you have been part of that Entrepreneurs Program. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about that because obviously they assist to businesses to scale up. And so I'm interested in how you became involved at what point what kind of assistance did they give you or do they continue to give you and what kind of impact has that had on the business? Because it's a, it's a really important thing to know when to reach out to get more people on your team to expand in a good way. So that sort of covers the Oz industry, covers the self-funding. So I, I didn't say that. So that's the one thing. We have just received the grant match funding with them, the Oz industry, the Entrepreneurs Program. And through that, we obtained our HACCP certification and the kosher certification but we haven't cashed in on that yet. So we've got to put our claim in for that this year. So that is our first grant that we've received and that's great. It's a great motivator to help you do things you wouldn't think about doing otherwise. We've just been working and keeping up with demand and sort of just concentrating on improving our processes the whole time. We haven't really been thinking about the marketing because it has been organic driven sales. But now because of COVID, it's perfect timing because we moved into this last building with a plan to scale up and start exporting but obviously that didn't happen because of COVID so we moved in October just before COVID so that sort of just crashed and then we had other issues with packaging and jar supply also so it's really been fortunate timing that Australian Certified Organic actually nominated us with the Entrepreneurs Program and that's how that came to us we didn't go looking for any grant ever and so that happened and we're like oh there's a whole ton of support we can get here So since starting the Entrepreneurs Program, we have been reaching out and getting a lot more support from the government and it's been very timely to help us in this time of need because we have spent a lot of on capital to grow in this last 12 months and it hasn't happened. So we're getting very ready for when we can start exporting with that and I think that's the tricky thing that you do get caught up in the day-to-day and keeping up with demand and if you don't come from that background, like for me, I was, and my husband didn't come from food either or, or manufacturing. We haven't worked in factories and we haven't seen what assistance there is available. You sort of, you don't sort of think about it. You just keep working. So it was very fortunate that we got nominated and we've um, applied for that grant. And now we're looking at applying for a few more just now as well. That's fantastic. And look, you've mentioned your husband in there, Brendan. I'm always interested where you have a couple that kind of sits at the apex of a business. I always generally tend to ask how you find working together and how you actually split the work between each other. We've worked together the whole time. As I said, he built the first kitchen and then ever since then he's been working in it. Before that, he was just helping out the market stores on the weekends and he was still doing his day job, but he took three months of his long service leave when we built the first kitchen and never went back. So that leave got extended and got extended. And then eventually when we moved into the second kitchen, he had to resign, but he's been full time in it as well. So Brennan was a director in human services, federal government. Um, So he's got very good QA and analytical skills and also through building all of our facilities and maintaining all our equipment, he's now the most handy man, handiest man you've ever met. So our roles are sort of split. I'm sort of the managing director and managing production and procurement and new product development. And Brennan manages the warehouse and dispatch and accounts, really. So I've 
I've tried to call him the CFO, but he doesn't want that responsibility. (laughs) We sort of share that role. Yeah, we've really worked well as a team. There were moments when we first started working full-time together, of course, where we clashed and didn't know who was going to do what. But we figured that out, obviously, and we, we got past it. So we sort of now have pretty clear roles. There are obviously times of tension, but I think your husband and your best friend is your best option for your business because you can have, you can just be so much more efficient. Sometimes you can be too efficient and be talking about work when you shouldn't, but that's what sort of lets you achieve what you need to achieve, I suppose. And it's very hard having a small business and there's a lot of pressure. So I think that's got us, got us where we are today. We're a great team. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a message from our partner, Aussie Industries Entrepreneurs Programme. The Entrepreneurs Programme can get you from where you are to where you want to be. Our team of independent business experts can help you bring your ideas and innovations to life. We've got the tools and the networks to get you on the way. And you may be eligible for funding to make it happen. To find out how the Entrepreneurs Programme can help you take your business to the next level, visit business.gov.au forward slash EP or call 13 28 46. Welcome back to Next Generation Innovators, where my guest today is Katrina Kehoe of Kehoe's Kitchen. Katrina, if I can just make an observation, I suppose, at this point, you are an incredibly relaxing person to listen to on what are, for most people, you know, very big nerve-wracking steps in their life. You talk about them with this really nice ease and I suppose, yeah, just a relaxed demeanor and it, and it's giving me a really lovely picture of sort of how you conduct yourself as a leader within the business and how you make those business decisions. And so on that, I'm interested now in what part of running the business brings you joy, but then also what parts keep you up at night, you know, if any, because you just, you sound very relaxed and I'm, I'm interested to get into the mindset here a bit more. Thank you. That was very kind. Um, my work brings me joy. Most of the customers, we get emails from customers and my staff, of course, because they're beautiful and, and they, they come to work with a smile on their face every day and are very grateful to have a job and, and to work with us. But our customers write beautiful emails about the kimchi is the best thing ever and and thanking us for what we do just randomly like people and they take time to write such long emails as well and they just they just brighten my day and that's the sort of interaction we used to get at the market which we miss now because we're you know we're not seeing our customers or hearing from them so it's really nice when someone emails us and just yeah positive feedback from our customers is what is what drives us and then knowing that we've got a product on the shelf that's supporting Aussie farmers. You know, we're doing a really good thing. We're not, we are making a processed food, but it's just vegetables with spices and salt and it's probiotic and it's long life, like converting fresh produce, which has got a short life and hard for farmers to sell into something that we can sell over 12 to 24 months. So we're making a biological food, which has export capabilities now as well. So I'm, I'm really positive about our future as long as people like continue to like eating healthy and still believe in probiotic fermented foods, I think that we've got a great opportunity to get Australian grown vegetables all all across the world. And that is our plan with the exporting. So that's sort of, that's what is my passion. Our cashew cheese, cashews don't, certified organic cashews don't grow in Australia. In fact, cashews don't grow in Australia. So the cashews are imported. I love the product and I love eating it, but it's, um, it's not my passion. I'm not driving that with the supermarkets and export like I am the fermented vegetables because I want to produce products that are, you know, 97 to 100% Australian ingredients and send them out. 
and because they're obviously lower carbon, better for the environment as well. So, you know, I'm an eco-warrior. I've got four bins in my kitchen and, you know, we do everything that we can. And we've got, you know, we've got two children. We've got a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old now. So we're, we're trying to be good role models for them. So that's all the positive things that keep me going and give me a drive. And my husband also is the same. He's very passionate and proud about what we do. But the things that keep me up at night, of course, is the debt, the sales. Like we've just had coronavirus has kept me up. I've got a whole patch of grey hair on the side of my head now because of <laughs> coronavirus. So we couldn't get enough jars last year because the ships stopped moving, obviously. And um, so we were short supplied glass jars which are imported but we buy them from an Australian wholesaler during the middle of our organic cabbage season. So we did see this coming because we obviously coronavirus started affecting us in March. So we had these plastic pouches which we produced as an export product and so we swung laws over to those because we knew because they're Australia they're produced in Australia that packaging that we'll be able to get them no matter what. So We've got Woolworths on the pouches and we started putting the organic, we made organic product. We used the organic ingredients that we bought, but the pouches were not a certified organic product. And that's also because you can't export certified organic product to China or the USA. So we made the pouches a conventional label on purpose so that we wouldn't have any issues with exporting them anywhere we wanted to. So we were purchasing product at organic prices because we made a commitment to our farmers and asked them to grow it for us and putting them in the pouches and selling to Woolworths as a conventional product at a lower price. And because we're not set up for pouching, it's very different to filling into a glass jar. It's not rigid. It's got many issues. That was a real challenge for us. And so we did it, but then we found out there were a lot of QA issues with the pouches. And so we had customers complaining about the pouches big time. And if it wasn't COVID, we would have gone straight back to glass jars, but we had nothing to put them in. So it was either sell our product in pouches that one in 200 might have a leak or one in 200 might have a valve not work properly and a customer complain or sell nothing and close our doors. So now we're talking with Busy Glass about making our jars in Australia. So hopefully by the end of this year, hoping by September, we'll have Australian-made glass jars. Katrina, I bet nobody has ever looked at a glass jar the way that you lovingly looked at it when you received them. <laughs> when you received them, and also that's an amazing example of all of the different moving parts within a business and how something as simple as the jar with the lid on top of it yeah. can create a problem in a given environment. And I think that's a really good lesson and a very fair thing to keep you up at night. Can you give me just a very quick insight into how you? chose the farmers that you're going to work with. And I want to focus here on working with Australian farmers and, uh, you know, Australian suppliers and things like that. How did you choose who you're going to work with and how did you approach them? It's really, really, really easy to choose organic farmers compared to conventional farmers because there are certification organisations which you can jump on their website and you can search by state, by product. And you can find the farmers and then you can just have a conversation. You can email them or call them and talk to all the farmers in your area that grow the product you want or grow similar products and say, hey, you grow um, carrots, how about growing some daikons for us? That is so easy. When we started doing conventional products, it's so hard because there's nothing, there's no database for me to look up a list of farmers in my area that grow X product. So it was really easy. But also we had the connections from starting at the organic market ourselves because North East Street Organic Market, where we started, is an organic produce market. 
And so we had connections with farmers there from day one. And so they were our first farmers. And then when we started taking more than they wanted to supply us, they introduced us to their friends. It's just been friends of friends and just meeting local people and organising them. I love that how you describe everything as not an overcomplicated process. It empowers me to know that with a bit of hard work and a common sense process, it's, you know, it, it is some of these things are really nice experiences. You know, not everything has to be such a, such a struggle. Katrina, we always sort of end these episodes by asking, what is one piece of advice you could give to listeners who feel they have a really solid business idea and just want to take the next step? And I know it's hard one piece, but what sort of springs to mind? Start small. Don't overinvest and make sure that you've got demand because everybody sees what we do and says to us, we need to make this for them or that recipe so they can get into wars. But you can't do that. You need to start small and you need to get customer feedback and, and really hear what people want because if you make a mistake on a mass scale, it costs a lot of money. And we've, we've had recipes or products that haven't gone well and they've cost us 10 to 15 grand. You can't do that when you're starting. So you really need to start small and grow big. And that's the market situation. It's the best situation. Beautiful. Succinct. I love it. Katrina Kehoe, Eco Warrior. It's just empowered. You're so cool to listen to. You're so relaxing to listen to. You're making really big business seem really easy and it's really refreshing to me. It's been an absolute joy. Let's have some more of you on the planet, please, if we possibly can, with your four bins in your kitchen. I also have four bins. I think if you don't have four bins, get four bins. Let's all start there. Katrina, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for your time and I appreciate it so much. All the very best with the business. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening. Next Generation Innovators is a future women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you could leave a rating and review as it helps people to find us and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. As always, we'll see you next week.